want to invite you to be seated as you're seated this morning. Encourage you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 4 is going to be where we dive in in a moment. But first, I'm also going to pause to dismiss our kids who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs with our leaders for Kids Crew. Our Kids Crew worship is a, a time that's designed specifically for our kids to engage with the truth of the Bible, to dig in a little bit deeper, study together and They've got activities and other fun things, and so they're going to make their way upstairs with our leaders. While they're making their way upstairs, this is also an an appropriate time, I suppose, to acknowledge the fact that next Sunday on the 28th, next Sunday evening, we have a time where we'll gather together for worship. It's our monthly business meeting. We'll kind of talk through some, some different things that are happening in the life of our church. And then in the midst of that, really just after the service and the time of worship, we're going to move down the hall together and celebrate Charlotte Allen. A few weeks ago, we voted to extend the call to Charlotte Allen to serve full-time on our staff as our minister to children. And so next Sunday night on the 28th, we're going to celebrate that together in our, in our good Baptist way with some food, right? That's what we do as Baptists. We, we have food, and, and we're going to celebrate all that God's been doing in the life of our church. And certainly, it would be an opportunity for you to come and celebrate Charlotte. The food, that part of things is is going to be taken care of. But if you would like to, we would encourage you to maybe write Charlotte a note of encouragement, uh, something of that. We'll have a basket that you can share those things with her if you want to do that next Sunday evening. Okay, so that's going to be on the 28th, one week from tonight. And uh, we hope that you'll be there to be a part of that. For several weeks now, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. We started a new sermon series in the new year. We're looking at the church on fire. In the book of Acts, we find the story of the early church and how the church was born in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And then the, the church begins to grow as the gospel advances. And as they, as they, meaning the disciples, the early church, the early believers work together, we see God working in such a special way. And I've told you, and I'll remind you again, that the key person that I want you to see throughout our study in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Yes, the people were important. Yes, the characters, like names like Peter and James and John and Paul and others, these are, these are enormously important figures in the life of the early church. And yet, the point isn't about any, any man or woman, any person, any particular church in any particular city, but it's really a story of what God is doing through the work of his Holy Spirit to to reach people with the gospel, with the message of Jesus. And so we'll see that even in this particular passage. It's been cold this last week. One of the things that happens when it gets bitterly cold like this is pipes freeze and all other kinds of issues uh, raise up, right? Raise their, their head in the midst of this. I'm not going to ask you to stand and bear witness or anything, but I wonder how many people in the room this week have dealt with some frozen pipes or some other kind of an issue brought about by the, the really cold temperatures that we've had lately. It just seems like those things go together, don't they? But when the pipes freeze and other troubles happen, sometimes it serves kind of as a, a reminder that we're always like one step away from the next heartache, the next trouble, the next thing that's going to happen. And one thing that we see in the life of this early church is that 
it seemed like some kind of hardship, some kind of difficulty lie around just about every turn, every corner for them as well. And so if you walk in the room today, and maybe you're just worn out because it seems like every time you, you start to get ahead just a little bit, something breaks or, or the wheels come off or, or something happens that was unexpected. And I suppose many of us can identify with that. I hope maybe this morning you'll lean in a little closer, that maybe you'll pull up a chair with a little more expectation because God wants to speak a word to you of encouragement, but also a word of, a word of, of opportunity, a word of instruction, I think, this morning through our study here in Acts, through what they're going through. Because what we're going to see, even in the text that we're going to look at in Acts 4 and 5 today, is that they encountered all kinds of opposition, obstacles. There were hardships, it seemed like, around every turn that they faced. And they were faced with a choice that either they would allow these hardships to stand in the way and, and, and stop the advance of the gospel, or they would persevere through it. And really, the truth is, you and I have a similar choice to make. Now, hear me. I'm not wanting to equate your frozen pipes with the, the beatings that John and, and Peter took in uh, Acts chapter 4, right? I, I don't mean to say those are the same thing. And, and the truth of the matter is that what we face and what we're against, it seems like, in this, it may be different. It's going to be different for each of us in the room. It's going to be certainly different from what we see when we study people who lived long ago in a, in, in a culture long, long forgone. And yet, from their life, from their lesson, from their witness, we can draw some very important, some, some invaluable lessons, I think, of how we are to persevere and how we're not to let the trials that we face stop us from doing the work that it is that the Lord has called us to. Because the one thing that I can pretty much guarantee, though I don't know exactly what trials you may come up against, I don't know exactly what difficulties you may encounter, I, I'm quite certain that we're all in for troubles and trials of, of many kinds. And we must learn to persevere through those and in, in spite of those so that we can accomplish the mission that God has called us to, to advance the gospel. Or as we say around here, because this is the mission of our church, to love others to faith in Jesus Christ and multiply disciples. That's, that's the mission that God has given us. And we'll see how they advance the gospel, fulfilled their mission, even in this passage this morning. But the, the key thing, okay, before we even get into the points, you can see on the back of the worship guide that there are three points, three lessons that I want to draw from this text this morning. But before we even get into those, I think there's an important sort of foundational idea that we need to, that we need to lay. So this foundation is this, is that when, when good things are happening, we should expect opposition. That the enemy that the enemy is going to be working against us to try to, to try to steal our joy, to try to rob our focus, to try to get us off track or sidetracked with less important, less urgent, less, in, less essential things, that we should expect opposition when the Holy Spirit is moving. And that's exactly what we see here in Acts. In fact, I'm trying to work our way through Acts in about 20 weeks. And so there are a number of these different passages that we're kind of drawing together and synthesizing. The truth of the matter is, 
what I'm going to preach this morning could really be about three or four sermons worth of material in terms of the text and the amount of text that we're going to cover. But instead, I want us to zoom out a bit today and see the bigger picture that's at work here in each of these passages. And in particular, what we're going to see in the latter part of Acts chapter 4 and in the early parts of Acts chapter 5 is that just at the moment where the Holy Spirit is moving and good things are happening, many are coming to Christ, then immediately opposition arises. It seems like there are troubles and other things that spring up. And what I hope that you see is that's not just a coincidence, but it's the hand of uh, an enemy who is at work, according to Peter, what Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter, that the enemy is is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, right? That his desire is to steal, kill, destroy. And we see that even in this. So I want us to look, okay, first in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to start reading in verse 32. We're going to read through the, the last few verses of Acts 4. And then we're going to kind of work our way, jump through some of these other uh, passages before we really dig in. We're going to dig in good at Acts 5.17. But let's, let's get to that point. And again, the key here, the foundation here, is that great things are happening. God is at work. The, the gospel is advancing. The church is growing. Literally thousands are being added. And immediately the opposition begins. Acts 4.32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Let's just remind ourselves that at this point, the full number of those who believed at this point, if we go backward in Acts 4 and jump even before that, Acts chapter 2, that we know of at least 8,000 who have professed faith in Christ. And, and I think it's reasonable to assume that there are many others as well, but at least 8,000, all right? So here we are, days removed from Pentecost, the the. The gospel has been advancing as the disciples and many other believers were sharing their faith and testifying to Christ, and yet the opposition arises as well. But the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of his own things belonged to him that was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as he had need. We can go on and we read from there about this Joseph from Cyprus who we know as Barnabas and how he sold a piece of land and he brought it to the apostles and they used the proceeds from the sale of the land to, to further the work of, of the gospel, to, to, to meet the needs of others. We then read in Acts chapter 5 about these two individuals, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, who also sold some, some property that they had. But the difference between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira is that we see that Barnabas gave willingly. Ananias and Sapphira lied about what they sold, and they, and they, they acted as if they had given everything to the church. They held a portion back, and because of that, they, they literally they died. They fell over dead, which seems like a really extreme example of, of, of punishment uh, that, they would, that they would die because of their greed. And yet, even in that, what, what I hope you see, what I hope you see is that the enemy is at work. He's trying to, he's trying to, 
to manipulate and spread lies and sow dissension and create problems even in the midst of that. And then you keep reading in, in Acts chapter 5 and beginning at about verse 12, you read about the fact that the Holy Spirit was working so powerfully that people would literally bring the sick and the diseased and they would, and they would set them in the streets hoping that the apostles might walk by and their shadow fall on them and that people might be healed just because their shadow passed by, which seems really incredible, almost almost unbelievable, really, were it not for the fact that we understand that, that of course, this isn't, the, the Scriptures aren't lying to us, but it seems like that's pretty incredible that that would be happening. And yet, the point, again, is that through these signs and wonders and miracles, what we see is the stamp of what God is doing, how His Holy Spirit is working. And in the midst of that, we find there's opposition, that there's that there's trouble brewing for Peter and John and the other disciples. And so we're going to read about that in Acts 5. But again, before we, before we move into that, let's just let's keep chipping at this foundational idea that we, should expect, that we should expect opposition when the Holy Spirit is moving. Because and there are so many points in my own life and my own story when I, can, I could tell you stories of how opposition comes on the heels of something incredible that God has done. Even this past week, I'm not going to give you anything close to uh, details, uh, but even this past week, we've seen God do some incredible things. And in the same, in the same moment, in the same week, we've seen, we've seen some real hardship. I've, I've, I've behind the scenes kind of been witness to some really difficult things this week. And it just seems like those two go together, don't they? happens in the life of our church. It happens in our lives individually. And what I want you to understand is the reason that happens is because the enemy is not just going to stand idly by and wait for God to get all the glory. He's working to try to, to, try to disrupt and ruin what it is that the Lord is doing. And this morning, I hope that you'll find encouragement, not encouragement in the, in the troubles themselves, but encouragement in knowing that you're not alone. If you're facing hardship, if you're facing difficulty, if it seems like you're just in it, you're not alone. And this morning, I hope what's more is that you'll, you'll be encouraged to look to God and to honor Him and persevere even in the difficulty. Because God is still at work in our midst. And, and I hope that we'll see the opposition as opportunities for, for God to shine and for Him to get glory even in the midst of, of our trouble. So three lessons here, okay? This is really, I told you, where we're going to dig in. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Three lessons that I want us to see here about how it is that we are to persevere and endure as we advance the gospel in the face of adversity. The first one is this, is maintain your witness as you encounter opposition. You ought to expect, remember our foundation, expect opposition when the Holy Spirit is moving. And so the first thing that we learn here, the first key lesson I want us to see is that we, sh we need to maintain our witness as we encounter opposition. So let's start reading in Acts 5.17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees. And so the high priest was a Sadducee. There were effectively two religious 
uh, groups that, that held a lot of authority and a, and a lot of uh, sway, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. If you've grown up and you've read the scriptures or grown up in church hearing sermons and those kinds, you, you may be familiar with those names, Pharisees and Sadducees. You may not know the difference between them. The Pharisees were the larger group. They were the more legalistic group. The Sadducees were a smaller, but also in some ways perhaps a more, a, a more elitist kind of religious group. It was perhaps a little bit harder to be a Sadducee than it was a Pharisee. But together, these two groups comprised what was known as the Sanhedrin, okay? Now, this is not a one-for-one, this is not a perfect uh, analogy, but think of it kind of along these lines. We have two houses to our Congress. We have the Senate, and we have the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives have many more people in them. You might think of that in a way sort of like the Pharisees. Again, it's it's different on so many levels, but if it helps you to understand and get some idea. And then we have the Senate, which is a little more elite, a little, a little smaller group. Uh, and, and you might think of that sort of like the Sadducees. And together we call them Congress. Together these two groups comprised the Sanhedrin. Again, it's not one-to-one in any level. But if that helps make sense of it, these are these two ruling groups. And so at this particular time, the high priest was one of the Sadducees. And he's rallying together his fellow believers who are part of his cause because of the work that Peter and John and the other disciples are doing. And we read even here in the latter part of this verse, they were filled with jealousy. Jealousy will, it'll do all kinds of things, won't it? And in this situation, we see that jealousy brings about the real ugliness that, that people are capable of. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison and security securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So in the midst of this opposition, what is it that the disciples do? They maintain their witness, that they were arrested for preaching the gospel, arrested for for healing the sick, arrested for meeting the needs, right? Selling, selling their possessions, meeting the needs of people as there was any need, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. They were arrested for, for effectively for telling people about Jesus. And even though they were arrested when they're set free, rather than scattering and running for the hills, rather than getting out of town, what did they, they went right back to the temple. And they began to preach and teach the gospel again. They weren't afraid of the opposition. In fact, they were determined to maintain their witness even in the face of opposition. I think if there's any lesson that we can learn from this, it's that we 
need to maintain our witness. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you face some kind of difficulty and you reacted in a way that, that you aren't proud of, that, that, you, that, that you wished you wouldn't have. Uh, and I'm not saying I have, but I know some people who've done that, right? course I have as well. And in fact, again, that's probably one of those common experiences that we can all, that we can all attribute to. And I'm not going to tell you any stories on myself this morning, uh, and, and I'm not going to ask you to tell on yourself either, but we can relate, right, to being in situations where we don't respond in the moment the way that we should, the way that we ought. I, I, used, to, I used to say to my own children, uh, I would talk about that, you know, when you, when you get squeezed, what's on the inside is what's going to come out. And so, like, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out of an orange? Orange juice, right? That's what comes out of an orange when you squeeze it. When you squeeze an orange, you don't get apple juice because it's not what's inside the orange. What's inside it is what comes out. And even in this situation, we see that what, when, the, when the disciples are, are squeezed, so to speak, what comes out of them, what pours out of them is faithfulness and obedience. And it's the things of the Lord. I long to be someone who, when I'm tested, when I'm when I'm squeezed, so to speak, what comes out of me are the things of God. Sadly, that's not true in so many cases. And yet, my desire is to renew, even today, renew my commitment. To, Lord, I want to maintain my witness in the face of opposition. I want to be found faithful. I want to honor you and, and maintain a, even a bold witness, as we've visited and talked the last few weeks about the boldness of the, of the apostles. I want to be bold with my witness, even in the face of opposition. Because it's in those moments, in the heat of the battle, so to speak, that we really have such a unique opportunity to, to declare the goodness of God just through simple acts of obedience. And it's, it's something that I, I want you to hear. Don't let this, don't let this, don't, don't miss this. Don't let this kind of uh, pass you by. Understand the great significance of simple acts of obedience in the midst of daily trials. Because far too often we're waiting for the big, big moments and our eyes are so focused on the big, big things and we falter in the little daily things because maybe we're trying to gear ourselves up. And, and so, again, to kind of mix my metaphors up a little bit, we prepare so much for the war that we lose the battles, the skirmishes. And what I want you to see here and what I want you to understand is that the disciples, when the, when the moment came, they were faithful in the little things. And because they were faithful in the little things, the, the sum total of that was this incredible witness for the Lord. So, Maintain your witness as you encounter opposition. A second lesson that we learn through what we see here is remain faithful as you endure trials and tribulations. So maintain your witness. In other words, be, be consistent and, and remain faithful as you endure trials and tribulations. We will all face trials and tribulations. They're going to come. It's not a matter of if but when. And so my encouragement to you is to remain faithful as you endure. Let's keep reading in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. 
Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, this is so good, we must obey God rather than men. You want to know where their obedience comes from? You want to know the the root, the stronghold of their obedience? There it is. We must obey God rather than men. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged, wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now you talk about uh, opposition that they're facing, right? This isn't just this isn't just some in some minor types of inconveniences. We've already talked about the fact that they were arrested, they were imprisoned, and now even they are threatened even to the point of being beaten. Why? Charged that they might not preach the name of Jesus. And yet And yet they remain faithful. Why? Because according to Acts 5 verse 29, their heartbeat, the heartbeat of the disciples was, we must obey God rather than men. My prayer this week in kind of processing through this text and thinking about this for me, but then also for us as a church, my prayer has been that we would be a community who would choose to obey God rather than men that would stand for what God has called us to stand for and do what is right, even in the face of opposition, that would choose to be women and men of integrity, women and men who honor the Lord by putting Him first in every area of our lives, who choose obedience over easiness, who choose the way of faithfulness over the path of least resistance, that we would remain faithful as we endure trials and tribulations. One of the things that you see so often today in Christendom is that people are out to build a brand, to get a lot of attention for themselves. It's sort of the Instagram reality that, that, we, that we live with, right? Where people want to pretend as though they have it all together. They want to they want to put forward this version of themselves or their life that looks like, and I'm so good, and I'm so... And, but really, at the end of the day, what all of that is about is about trying to impress others, trying to pretend as though they've got it all together, when in reality, it's sort of the proverbial house of cards. You know, really, you could 
look backward even in this text, and you can see the framework of that same idea even in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. But the real sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not just about withholding something that they had that they had vowed to the Holy Spirit. The sin there was one of greed, one of, of appearance, one of trying to be seen of others as generous and giving and, and honoring when in reality they, they were something different. And I have, I have thought to myself so many times, I heard someone say this once, I, I, so I can't take credit for it. I, I don't even know where it came from. But someone once challenged me or challenged, challenged a group that I was in. They said, you be faithful. Let Jesus be famous. And I thought a lot about that this week. You be faithful. Let Jesus be famous. Don't worry so much about trying to get all of the attention or impress everyone else around you or make sure that they know how great you are and how perfect your life is. You be faithful and let Jesus be famous. Work to make him famous with the way that you live. Work to honor him and to make much of Jesus through simple acts of of obedience rather than all the grandstanding and posturing that perhaps we're guilty of sometimes. Remain faithful as you endure trials and tribulations. Praise God that Jesus remained faithful in the midst of trials and tribulations. He remained faithful. He endured death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, so that we might be forgiven, that we might be welcomed in. And because of his faithfulness, we can find forgiveness. And now, and now our mission, our purpose, our job is to be faithful in declaring Christ to others so that through our faithfulness, others may find faith in Jesus as well. Remain faithful as you endure trials and tribulations. Again, if there's any key there, I want you to hear. It's not a matter of if, but when. When the trials come, Remain faithful. And then the third lesson I I see here through this example, just found in these final few verses, is obtain God's provision as you persevere. So again, my, my encouragement here is to maintain your witness in the face of opposition as you encounter opposition, to remain faithful as you endure trials and tribulations and obtain God's provision as you persevere. In verse 41 we see, then they left the presence of the council, and, and, and catch this, right, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Did the disciples face hardship and difficulty? yes. Did they encounter trials and tribulations? You bet they did. And their response in the midst of that was to maintain their witness, to remain faithful, and through that, to obtain God's provision, his favor, as they would persevere. I I find it, to say that it's convicting, I don't even know, carries the, the, the real weight of what I'm about to say, but I find it so convicting to think that their response was to rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer. 
I'll just be honest with you, church, that is often not my response in the midst of trials. I do not look at my hardship and my trials and think, praise the Lord, I'm being counted worthy to suffer for his name, right? And yet, and yet I'm convicted that that should be my response. That is, that is to be my witness in the face of opposition. Lord, I, this is not something I've invited. This is not something I, I want or even necessarily welcome. And yet, if this gives me the opportunity to demonstrate your faithfulness to me through my faithfulness in the midst of this, then, then bring on the trials. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. There are so many today that have bought this lie that says something along the lines of, if you, if you honor God and you trust the Lord, then you're never going to face any kind of hardship or difficulty or any kind of obstacle. And the problem with that is it's just a lie, right? I mean, just, and, and uh, the, the first piece of evidence that I would introduce is just look to the scripture, Look to the, the example even that we see here in the early chapters of Acts. They were faithful. They were obedient. They were right in the middle of God's will. And they were facing all kinds of hardship and difficulty. Because we should expect opposition when the Holy Spirit is moving. The enemy will be at work. But even in that, we have the opportunity to bear witness to the goodness of our Savior, Jesus, through our obedience through our faithfulness, as we maintain our witness, remain faithful, obtain God's provision, and then give him all the praise through it. They did not cease. They did not cease. They never stopped preaching and teaching. They never stopped. One of the the little notes that I wrote as I was just studying through the text, I just made a, a note on a pad of paper that I had, and, and I wrote that hardships will either halt or hasten gospel advance. And the difference, really, has everything to do with how we respond in the midst of hardships. Hardships will either stop us or they will encourage us to keep going. My prayer is that we would be encouraged to keep going in the face of obstacles, knowing that as we persevere, that we get to, we get to shine the, the spotlight on Jesus. We get to, through our obedience, show his faithfulness to us through our faithfulness to him. Will we face hardship? Yes. Will we face obstacles? Yes. But those obstacles become an opportunity for the display of the gospel as we seek to make much of Jesus, my encouragement to you today is to remain faithful. Remain faithful. Maintain your witness. Remain faithful. Obtain God's provision and then point the praise back to him. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to do just that. To point our praise back to the Lord as we declare his goodness and sing about his faithfulness in our lives. Even in the midst of the hardships and the difficulties that we endure. If you come in the room this morning, you say, you know what, man, I'm, I'm in it. I've been, I've been going through it. Can I just tell you, you're not alone. And, and although I, I don't mean to glory in the problems themselves, I do hope that you will take heart in knowing that you're not alone and that even in the midst of your obstacles, there's an opportunity to shine the light on Jesus as we place our faith in
and our trust in him. And so in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And even together, we're going to sing. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to lift up a hallelujah to the Lord, praising him in the midst of the trials that we face. But I also, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't also say this, that this morning, if God's been speaking to you, he's been working in your heart, you've been hearing all of this, and you've been thinking to yourself, where does this come from? Where does this kind of faith that you're talking about, where does this kind of faithfulness and this witness come from? Can I tell you, it doesn't come from, from me. It doesn't come from us. There's no one in here who's good enough or faithful enough or strong enough to do this on their own. We are all hopeless and helpless apart from the saving grace that is given to us by God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we read, But God, who is rich in mercy, according to the great love that he had for us while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. All of this comes from Jesus. The hope that that I have, the hope that, that anyone else in the room has is not for just a better version, a more faithful version of ourselves. It's for the saving grace of Jesus given to us freely as a gift. And if you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to him, then we want to extend to you the invitation as well that you might trust Jesus by faith. And so even as I sing, uh, as, as we sing, I should say, I'll be standing here, Brad will be standing here with me, and we would encourage you. If God is speaking, if he's, if he's working in your heart and your life today, you can step out on the aisle and make your way forward, even while we're singing. Let us visit with you. Let us counsel with you through a decision to trust Christ, to honor him by surrendering your life to him and making him Lord and Savior of your life as you come to him in faith. What better way to respond in obedience than to trust Christ as Savior this morning if he's moving in your heart in that way. And so I want to invite you to bow your head with me and close your eyes as we move into a time of invitation, a time of response. And even as we respond together corporately, I, I want to pray that God would work in our hearts individually this morning, that we might maintain our witness, remain faithful, and obtain his provision. And as we do that, we would point our praise back to him. Lord, we are so grateful that you made a way for us through your sacrifice, Jesus, and through the gift of your Holy Spirit, we, we can persevere in the face of hardship. Not in our own strength, Lord, but in the strength that you provide. Move in our hearts now. Move in us. Move in our midst even, we pray, as we seek to honor you in all things. And as the difficulties come, as the hardship and the trials come our way, Lord, we declare that we want to honor you. We want to remain faithful. We want to be faithful so that you might be famous, Jesus, in us. Would you shine in our hearts and our lives even now, we pray.